You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show, and I'm not going to lie to you guys, so I've been watching a lot of Guggen Squad videos lately on YouTube, and for those of you who don't know, Guggen Squad is kind of like a big group of individual YouTubers who all kind of came together and created the Guggen Squad, so like a bunch of them still have their own channels, and then they all get together and make videos together also, but anyway, so a lot of these guys are like big-time YouTubers, been doing it for years, have huge followings, and most of the bigger guys have like a name for their followers, like their loyal fans who, you know, watch every week and stuff. And I really want to come up with some kind of nickname for you guys, like the guys who are tuning in every week. Um, the best I could come up with is like the Oops Crew, Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast. Yeah, it spells oops. Uh, I figured that out when I signed up for the bow hunting league and uh, I tried to like shorten it for an acronym and it just turned out oops. And so anyway, if any of you guys listening have a cool uh, nickname idea for you guys, uh, please let me know. Hit me up on social media and uh, let me know if you have a cool nickname for you guys because I just, I don't know if it's weird to saying like you guys. I think it'd be a lot cooler if we had a nickname. Anyway, that has nothing to do with this week's podcast, so I'm going to get off that train. Welcome back to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. We're going to do things a little bit differently this week. Uh, typically, I kind of have my longer intro where I'm just, you know, talking about what I've been up to lately, what I'm doing in the future. We're going to kind of skip all that for now and put that in the end. And so we've been doing uh, this little series with the National Wild Turkey Federation. And so last week we had Bobby Armstrong on. We talked hunting strategies and, you know, what to do when you're out in the turkey woods. This week we're going to change up just a little bit. But on that kind of same note, we're talking to Annie Farrell. And she is a biologist for the National Wild Turkey Federation. And so this time we're going to talk a little bit less about hunting, more about just turkeys in general, you know, what turkeys need to survive, um, why numbers are dwindling a little bit as of late, and we're going to get really into the nitty gritty of it. And uh, and I don't want to bog all that down and bore you guys with, you know, just me talking about myself. And so we're going to go ahead this week 
and jump into the episode itself. And then on the back end, uh, I'm going to do what I would normally do in the intro. And so, um, yeah, like I said, we're just going to jump right in this week. Uh, Annie was on. Uh, she is the, I believe it's the district biologist for our area. And so she actually covers Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska. And so she's worked for them for quite a while, worked her way up. We get into all that. And uh, again, we have a great conversation just about like what turkeys need to survive, uh, what poults need to survive, um, roost trees, just all the habitat stuff that you need, just why a turkey is the way it is. And so once again, I don't want to muddy it up too too much here at the beginning. So we're just going to dive into it and then I'll catch you guys on the back end. So without further ado, here is my interview with Annie Farrell with the National Wild Turkey Federation. Hey everybody, welcome to the show today. And today we got Annie Farrell. How you doing, Annie? Hey, thanks for having me. Doing really well today. Of course. Good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's going to get a little crazy tonight. We're recording this on Monday. I think we got some storms coming in tonight. But uh, but right now I'm just excited to talk turkeys. And so, um, yeah, real quick before we dive into it, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, you know, who you are and where you're from. Yeah, I am Annie Farrell. I'm a district biologist with the National Wild Turkey Federation, and I cover Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska. I am based out of East Texas area and originally from Georgia, so I'm a southern girl. Gotcha, gotcha. Deep southern girl. So, yes, so yeah, how, my husband dragged me out to Texas. Gotcha. I was about to ask, was it the turkeys or marriage or what? Yeah, my husband is from Texas, and so he had a job with the, the wildlife agency in Texas, and that's what brought me out here. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So how long have you been with the National Wild Turkey Federation? So I've been with them for about five years now. I started as a project biologist where I was tied to a grant, and then I got promoted to district biologist, and I covered East Texas for a while, and then in 2020, I started covering all four of these giant center of the country states. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. Cool. So, well, I'm going to ask yeah. some fairly like state specific, but, uh, you know, because you do cover a large area and stuff, you know, if it needs to be a little bit more general, that's a okay. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a big difference between East Texas and Northwestern Nebraska. And so I, I have a feeling your hands <laughs> are a little bit. very full. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, I, I prepped you with a few questions, and so we're going to kind of run through those. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Like I said, last week we had Bobby on, and that was a little bit more uh, hunting-centered. We did get into a little bit of stuff uh, at the end that was a little more technical, but uh, yeah, you get, you get the fun side. You get the, the more technical side, and you know, I hope I hope just the listeners can learn from this and kind of get an idea of where the turkeys are at, where they're headed, and ultimately, you know, what the a landowner can do to help them. And so that's kind of my goal for this podcast. So I'm looking forward to it because we we actually just sold a property in southeastern Oklahoma that had a pretty good population for the area. Um, and the place we have now, I think I've gotten two trail cam pictures of turkeys in the last five years ever. And so, uh, so yeah, I kind of gave up some decent mm, turkey yeah. ground for some not as good. And I know they're around, uh, that's kind of the frustrating part. And so I'm, I'm really interested to talk to you and hopefully get a few ideas of what we can do to, to help that population out. So, so yeah, enough of my, uh, my random, uh, talking here. Let's, let's dive into this if you're ready. 
Yeah, let's go. All right. So first off, can you just give us a quick little history of um, just the history of the turkeys in this region? You know, is this their tradition, traditional native range? Um, did they ever like get eradicated from this state and have to come back? Uh, do we have reintroduced birds? Are these native birds? So just a little bit about the history of turkeys. Yeah. Um, so actually, it is traditional native range in Oklahoma. Um, they they existed all across the country, and so like a lot of places across the country. Turkeys were very abundant um, in the 1800s. But then, like, similar story, many game species, there was subsistence hunting. And then specifically, like, in East Texas or Eastern Oklahoma, there was a huge demand for timber. Mm -hmm. And that all greatly affected wild turkey populations. Mm -hmm. And at uh, certain points, the populations got so low that most people probably thought that they were extinct. Um, And so in Oklahoma specifically, numbers were probably less than 1,000 birds in the Mm -hmm. 1940s. Um, and so that's when the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation began a stocking program to reestablish wild turkeys within the state. So the uh, Department of Conservation caught 21 Rio Grande wild turkeys in the Texas Panhandle and then relocated them to Harper County, kind of at the base of the Panhandle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that flock grew, grew very quickly. And ODWC was able to trap and transplant surplus birds out of that population and translocate them to other state or other parts of the state. Um, and other suitable habitat. So then the population had grown so significantly uh, that by the 1960s, ODWC had reestablished a fall and spring uh, turkey hunting seasons. And so that is the Rio Grande. Mm-hmm. Since that reintroduction was so successful, eastern wild turkeys were still kind of struggling um, in the eastern half of the state. And so similar to East Texas, where I live, Oklahoma tried releasing pen uh, raised birds, but those are ineffective mm-hmm. for uh, creating their own self-sustaining population. I mean, they're not going to survive very long hen raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that didn't work. And because of obvious differences between the Rio Grande subspecies and the Eastern subspecies, um, the turkey managers at the time decided that the best course of action would be to do a trap and transplant program again. Um, and so that uh, agreement was made with Arkansas and Missouri, and those two states, there was a a trade agreement with those two states in Oklahoma, and Oklahoma ended up trading walleye fry and prairie chickens, actually, for a number of of eastern wild turkeys. Gotcha. Um, In 1971, Uh uh, eight Tom Tom Mountains, and long story short, the eastern subspecies started to make their comeback, Mm -hmm. and so since then, their populations across the state have continued to rise and fall and cyclic. Uh, cyclical pattern um, just like every other state uh, but right now eastern populations have mostly leveled off mm-hmm. uh, but Rio populations are declining <laughs> so uh, we're trying to figure out what's going on there gotcha gotcha yeah you covered that really well I was going to ask about the two different uh, species and you hit both of them so that was good and uh, you mentioned that they were trading stuff with other states and I believe, if correct me if I'm wrong, but that has to do with uh, basically you're not allowed to sell wildlife parts, meat, anything uh, because of you know market hunting back in the day. Uh, so even today, when states want to do stuff like that, there has to be some kind of trade exchange go on to uh, to get critters, even if they're needed, into a new area. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, yeah that's the lacy act right okay that's i i should have known that but uh yeah lacy act okay awesome (laughs) very cool yeah that was great so all right so we've uh 
we've talked about Rios and Easterns and their parts of the state and kind of the history. Uh, and you touched on it just a little bit there at the end, but how are the populations doing right now? So, yeah, like as I mentioned, the Eastern populations are mostly leveled off right now, but the Rio populations are declining. Um, and there, there's been a very significant decline in the Rio Grande population, um, and specifically in Western Oklahoma. Um, and so, Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation is the agency that has the statutory responsibility to, to manage and uh, for the conservation of the state fish and wildlife resources and, of course, including the wild turkey. Mm-hmm. And so NWTF works very closely with them, and no one really totally understands right now the causes mm-hmm. of why the population is declining. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're all looking towards. But, you know, key concerns are loss of habitat, landscape fragmentation, flooding and other extreme weather events. Really, in, I, I think it was 2011, 2012, there's a really bad drought mm-hmm. um, and populations really haven't been the same since. And so mm-hmm. everyone's just working together to try and figure out what's going on with that. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. Um, so we've, we've mentioned the populations can be struggling and stuff and a few factors that might be uh, playing into that. So uh, kind of, this is somewhat of a broad question, but uh, just what does a wild turkey need to survive? You know, um, if I guess if you had uh, your picture perfect area, let's say somebody gave you, you know, thousand acres or whatever it is, what would you, or how would you describe that landscape to be like a perfect ha- uh, turkey habitat? Yeah, well, it kind of depends on which subspecies you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, let's cover but, both of them. <laughs> I mean, any of the subspecies, all the tur- yeah. a source of <laughs> okay, yeah, all the turkeys are going to need a source of water, uh-huh. an area to roost, an area to eat and forage, and an area to nest and escape predation. And so, all the subspecies are going to need this interspersion of wooded and open areas, uh-huh. uh, where a mix of this, re- a big mosaic of these different types of habitats, is really going to provide the the best habitat and it also has that edge mm. habitat that turkeys uh, are looking for where they can come out into the open and forage and then they can escape predators in the forest and so if you're if, if i'm looking for the perfect eastern wild turkey habitat i'm seeing open understory um, lots of green lush herbaceous plants and forbs and grasses in the understory um, nothing too thick i know that like Chinese privet or yopon can grow any, even sweet gum can grow really thick in the understory. And if, if I'm a Turkey, I am not going to want to be in that kind of an area because uh, their, their best line of defense uh, is eyesight. And if they can't see predators, they're not going to try, try and travel in that area. Um, So open understory, open fields um, next to woods is always good. Lots of native plants. Um, Flowery wildflower areas uh, are going to be great for not only wild turkeys uh, to eat. There's, it's going to attract a lot of bugs mm-hmm. um, and pollinators, and turkeys are going to eat those. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm looking for. If I'm an eastern, if I'm a Rio, there's um, you know there's going to be less water available than maybe there would be in eastern wild turkey habitat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a Rio, you'd be looking for riparian areas, uh, those corridors makes it really easy for them to travel. Um, they need, they need that source of water. So, mm-hmm. um, like a, a river or a stream or a lake, um, big trees to roost in, you know, 
trees, uh, big roost trees, are a little bit harder to find in Rio Grande territory. Uh, so big cottonwoods. Um, uh, also, you know, similar to eastern, you know, grasses, uh, forbs, that green, lush understory. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's okay. I, ideally you're going to have those places to roost, um, a source of water place to eat and a place to escape predation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. As you, as you ran through that list, of course, I'm just thinking of, you know, our place and, and checking my boxes and stuff. And the the one box that I can't check are the nice big roost trees because the previous owner of our place had it completely clear cut back in like 2008. Um, and so there's, Oh no. Yeah. So, uh, there's a few random, uh, you know, decent sized trees every once in a while, but, uh, a lot of them are all, you know, 10 to 14 years old, somewhere in there. Uh, well, you know, I, after he clear cut, I'm sure he sprayed it and brush togged it for, or I know he did for a couple of years. Um, and so, you know, we have some big trees on the neighbors, but as far as our place, big trees are hard to come by. And uh, it, I don't know, this is just kind of a, a personal question, I guess. Like, you know, you talk about big roost trees, you know, cottonwood or a big oak or something like that. Uh and I don't know if, if you can answer this with like a specific size, but like, you know, we have some trees that are getting up a little bit bigger, you know, eight inch diameter stuff. And, and, you know, a couple turkeys could jump up there and roost, but you're probably not going to have like enough room for like a flock of 30 or something like that. Uh, any idea, like kind of how big of a tree you need before it can become like a good roost tree? Um, I don't know specifically, but you, you know, see it and it's like a big tree, lots of limbs to sit on. Um, you made the comment about how your neighbor has the trees. Mm -hmm. And so I I was going to say something about along the lines of, you know, have better habitat than your neighbors (laughs) (laughs) and that'll bring the turkeys to you. Uh Um, so, I mean, if you don't have those large cottonwood galleries, like maybe your neighbor does, Mm -hmm. the turkeys might not hold on your property. Uh, but in the meantime, you can always plant more cottonwoods. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there has been research done on artificial roots in areas Mm -hmm. where, uh, there may not be roost trees available. So, uh, that could be if you're really looking for a place for turkeys to roost. But I mean, they will roost on a lot of different things too. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I like that thinking. I like it. (laughs) All right. Um, So I know one thing that has to do uh, a lot with just turkey populations and stuff is poult survival. And I remember hearing uh, not too long, I think it was probably the Meat Eater podcast. they, They talked about how just everything is out to get, a turkey poult, um, from, you know, from the moment it touches the ground. So, yes. uh, what kind of, uh, poult survival do we see in Oklahoma? Um, I don't know exact numbers, but I know that it is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the population decline, it's been so significant, mm-hmm. um, that Oklahoma department of wildlife has prioritized research this year on turkeys. And so they have partnered with Oklahoma State University and the NWTF has also contributed uh, to this through our Superfund process. Um, but one of the components of the project is to be looking at poult survival. So they're going to equip hen turkeys, backpack transmitters, um, and follow them around during nesting season, figure out where the nests are. Um, and then they're going to, once um, they have the nest, identified they're going to be looking at hatching success and nest abandonment 
um, and any nest predation. Um, and if a nest does successfully hatch, then they're going to put little mini uh, backpack transmitters <laughs> on the pulse. Uh-huh. And so the pulse will have the trackers and that will provide researchers with a better understanding of the causes of the pulse mortality mm-hmm. in their first two to three months of life. And so this data is really going to help figure out why pulse might not be surviving um, to adulthood um, and, and figuring out reasons so that we can do something about it. Okay. Um, I, you know, I think it's something like 20% of, uh, shoot, I can't remember the numbers, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a really, really, really low number of yeah. birds that that's that hatch mm. and then pulse that survives from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, everything is out to get turkeys for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Man, it just, uh, I don't know. Like I said, it, it makes you want to do something, but also it's at the same time, it's like, I don't really know what to do. You know, you can work on habitat, you can create cover, but yeah. at the same time, they don't like it too thick. So it's, it's tough, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, what the different species need, uh, already. And so I'm going to kind of skip that one, but, uh, uh, this is kind of a random question, but, and it's also kind of counterintuitive to what you've been saying. Uh, you know, you've been talking about how the Rios out West have been struggling more than the Easterns in the East, but it seems like as a whole, turkeys seem to do better in more open environments. Um, you know, Bobby was talking about seeing, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, seeing flocks of, uh, 120 birds out in a, a wheat field and stuff. And, uh, and I don't, maybe it's, you just think there's more because they're more visible or something, but it just seems like you don't see those big, huge numbers in the East. So what do you think it is about more open terrain that usually means more turkeys? Yeah. Um, so if you're speaking of open terrain, like, like the great plains, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. grassland type habitats, mm-hmm. I mean, Rios are going to thrive in those areas. They're adapted to live in those areas mm-hmm. and you are going to find those bigger flocks of Rios compared to Eastern, just the difference in the subspecies. Mm -hmm. And so while the Easterns are more of the forest species, Mm -hmm. both turkeys, Easterns and Rios are going to need that open kind of habitat. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a matter of, are there a bunch of trees or are there not? Um, So one of the main reasons I think for that is that, like I had said, the Turkey's best line of defense is their eyesight. The best and first line of defense is their eyesight. Um, And if they can't see around them, they're way more vulnerable. And like we just said too, everything is out to get a wild turkey. <laughs> um, and so they're going to be safer in those open areas because they could see something approaching them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. This, yeah. this next question, uh, I, I asked Bobby the same question and uh, I, I, I wouldn't say he got excited about it, but he definitely had his opinion on it and stuff. And so, uh, I want to ask from a from a from a biology standpoint on shooting or passing jakes. Um, I've heard both sides of the uh, whatever you want to call it. You know, some people say uh, it's okay to shoot jakes because you know that jake might not make it to the next year anyway, or it doesn't matter if you shoot it this year, if you shoot it next year, all that. Um, I've heard other people talk about how. Um, you shouldn't shoot jakes because, you know, that's next year's two-year-old um, breeding, you know, more turkeys on the landscapes. And so uh, I was just curious from a from a biologist standpoint, do you think you should or should not shoot jakes and why? <laughs> um, I'm curious what Bobby said. 
<laughs> I can tell you now uh, or I can tell you, know, you afterwards. But... <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what I think. But okay. biologically, there's no reason that a hunter should or should not kill a Jake mm-hmm. other than the fact that, I mean, if, if you're eliminating the potential that a Jake could be growing up to be an adult bird mm-hmm. in the following years. Um, I mean, some states it is illegal to shoot a Jake. Mm-hmm. So make sure you know the regulations before you pull a trigger on one. But in Oklahoma, it is legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, it's your tag. It's your hunt. So if a Jake is a trophy to you, then take it. Mm-hmm. If it, uh, if you personally like the challenge, I know adult birds tend to be more challenging to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if that's what you're out there aiming for, then pass on the jake so i think it's all about personal preference gotcha gotcha so there's no biological reason that it's better to leave that jake or anything it's more just kind of what you think about it yep (laughs) yeah there's no biological reason that you shouldn't kill the jake gotcha okay uh yeah bobby he kind of had the similar answer he said personally he's probably gonna wait and you know try to shoot the the older more mature bird but um uh, he talked about some research that was done that said that Jake's actually don't do any breeding anyway. Um, and mm-hmm. so he kind of agreed with you, you know, if it's legal, there's no really no re- reason not to, you know, especially if you had, you know, if you're taking a child or a first time hunter and that's the bird that comes in and, and probably is going to be the bird that comes in. There's no reason not to shoot it. I think he personally decided he was going to wait for the older bird. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was really curious what you were going to say on that one. Yeah. I mean, it is great for a kid's first bird. I mean, if, if a Jake comes in, awesome. I mean, the goal is to experience a turkey hunt at that point. Yeah. And if it's a Jake, so be it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. This next question is also uh, kind of on that same line. So, and I, I think I actually heard this from somebody who worked for the National Wild Turkey Federation, but it was about bow hunting turkeys. And uh, whoever this person was, their stance was that basically – birds are meant to be shot with a shotgun um and that he was not a big proponent of shooting with the with a bow uh you know just the the way their anatomy is the way their anatomy shifts whether they're you know strutting or standing up or leaning forward um and so i i guess you know some people love bow hunting they're hardcore bow hunters they don't want to shoot again so they love bow hunting turkeys um do you have an opinion on that like should should people bow hunt should they only stick to shotguns Um, I guess just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. When you sent me the questions, I had never heard that before. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, it made, it got me thinking, you know, I guess there could be increased, uh, wounding loss maybe due to a a poor blood trail. Um, but really, I mean, I think it's up to the hunters to know their abilities Mm -hmm. and, and their limitations, uh, regarding, regardless of whatever equipment that they choose to use um, as long as it's legal, Mm -hmm. of course, Mm -hmm. Um, practicing with your equipment, just part of being an ethical hunter. And so I think archery may have, it could be a little bit more unethical if the hunter might not know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the good news is that archery hunters, just like everyone else who chooses to use a shotgun are still contributing to Pittman Robertson dollars, which is that federal excise tax on um, guns and ammunition and archery equipment. Um, So therefore they are still contributing to the management of wild turkeys and other wildlife species. So um, yeah, I thought that was interesting that you brought that up because I had never heard um, anyone. I mean, some of the biologists that I work with that are turkey biologists Mm -hmm. are hardcore Mm -hmm. bow hunters Mm -hmm. uh, for turkey hunting. So 
yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, I've I've done it. I'll admit it. I've done it. Um, so yeah, I, I was just curious what you thought about it. So, well, cool. Um, and then uh, so this last question I got here. Um, it can be a loaded question, but I'm really curious what you think about it. You know, most of this country and, uh, a lot of these states you just mentioned, uh, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Kansas maybe has a little bit more public land, Nebraska, probably a little bit more than that, but most of our state at least is private land. Um, which means, you know, the state can do a lot. They can adjust regulations, but when it comes down to it, uh, most of the time the state's not going to come onto somebody's private land and try to do habitat work. Um, a lot of times they just don't have the funds and the means. Um, so as private landowners, what can we do to help wild turkeys? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. And I dealt with this for years in Texas before I started covering Oklahoma too. Um, you know, it's majority private land. So mm-hmm. private landowners have the ability to make the biggest impact when it comes to wildlife management. So if you have you know, uh, a certain number of acreage, you have, you have acreage to your name, uh, you be, be good stewards of your land, you know, create usable habitat, figure out what your goals are. Um, if there's a specific wildlife species that you want to manage for, um, turkeys will probably like that because they're really habitat generalists. Um, so they're going to use good usable habitat. Um, I also encourage folks to work with their ODWC private lands biologists or like your local NRCS conservation district, there are so many programs out there to help private landowners depending on their wishes for their property. Um, and, you know, ODWC and NRCS, for, uh, I, there's also several programs in the middle of the state. Um, uh, there's private land, private land biologists through American Bird Conservancy. And uh, there's just a lot of options out there. So depending on the wishes for your property, um, we can figure something out. Um, so I would also encourage anyone to get involved with their local NWTF chapters. And if you don't have a local chapter, there's this chapter that was recently established in Oklahoma called the hunting heritage chapter. That's basically like a statewide chapter that will accept anybody that doesn't have their own local chapter. Um, I think you can find more information on it on Facebook. Um, and actually I think Bobby's involved in that. So that could be a cool segue into that, but um, all of the volunteers in Oklahoma are, have been super helpful and super welcoming and they would love to grow the flock. Um, so anyone can contact me and I can really help get folks in touch with the right people. And that's a lot of what my job is. Like I can't come out and do a site visit for everyone because there's only one of me in four states, mm-hmm. but I am here to help bridge the gap and kind of help folks know that there are resources out there for you. Um, and I can help you find them. Um, and so depending on where you are in the state, there's going to be different resources and I can help figure that out with you guys. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I had, uh, Adam Keith of Landon Legacy on a few weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago now, and I've met him and Matt several times. And, uh, one thing that I, I love that they say that they talk about all the time, they say, you know, whether you're into white-tailed deer or what, you know, most of the country is into white-tailed deer, that's kind of what feeds the beast. Um, but they say, if you manage for wild turkeys and quail, all the other species are usually going to benefit from those two things. Um, so that's one thing that I've, I've always loved. Uh, just the stuff that benefits, you know, turkeys and quail is usually going to benefit everything else, whether it's white-tailed deer or bunny rabbits. So, um, yeah, that's what I really like about wild turkeys is like if you can talk to anybody, if they enjoy hunting, if they are bird watchers and don't enjoy hunting, I mean, you can really connect with anybody on that because 
if you're doing something good for the wild turkey, you're doing something good for a lot of different species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a what are maybe some more slightly slightly more specific things like um, you know prescribed fire uh, tree thinning? Uh, what types of things like that that really help uh, help turkeys that you know maybe people could reach out to their local uh, offices and stuff and get some help doing? But what are just some general things they could do to help wild turkeys? Yeah, prescribed burning is a big one. It's going to be the most cost effective. You're going to get the most done uh, for the least uh, amount of money uh, to do doing a prescribed burn. And there's a lot of resources out there for landowners that want to do their own burning, and specifically the Oklahoma Prescribed Burn Association. And NWTF actually contributes to that usually every year. Uh, this past year, I don't think they did, uh, but they're basically available a resource available for private landowners who want to do burns and uh, don't have their own equipment. A lot of these prescribed burn associations can help landowners uh, with equipment, have equipment for them to borrow and whatnot. Um, so prescribed burning is a really good one. Um, timber stand improvement, if you're in the, uh, the eastern part of the state, you know, making sure you have that open understory so you can start by mulching, which is not going to be very cost effective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very expensive. But if you have the means to do it, I would do it. Uh, mulching and then herbicide, same with uh, prescribed fire in the eastern part of the state. Um, out west, uh, basically, if you have those riparian areas, you got to make sure it is open. Um, there's a lot of areas that have eastern red cedar kind of just taking over. Mm-hmm. Uh, get rid of those eastern red cedars. Go out, uh, uh, pile them up and burn them. Um, so those those are a few different ways you can do it. But really, it's prescribed burning, uh, herbicide, and, you know, mulching, brush clearing. Um, and then you can take it a step further and do native grass establishment or plant native trees, um, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, before I, uh, let you give, uh, some people some information on the National Wild Turkey Federation, is there anything that you've been just dying to get out to people about turkeys that you haven't had a chance to, uh, you know, maybe some information that most people don't know, uh, some good tactics or anything like that. Just any, any general information that you wish you could get out to the people. Ooh, good question. Um, yeah, I think that turkeys are kind of an underrated bird that, I mean, like I said, it's really easy to relate to people if you have a passion for the wild turkey. And so I, I think like, you know, turkey hunters um, can tell their story and, you know, folks that are out there managing for wild turkeys can tell their story and just relate to so many different people um, and connect over the wild so i think that's a pretty cool thing okay nice all right if people let's say somebody is out there and they want to get involved maybe volunteer or something like that um where should they head to um i think you can find all that information on nwtf.org and you can search for chapters um if you specifically go to the about section about and in your area um you can click on your state and see all the staff that are in in the state and then also i think it has the information for maybe the state chapter president um but that's at least a good start um oklahoma actually does have a state chapter website and i believe it is oknwts.com and you can find a whole wealth of information there just specifically about oklahoma Uh, there's all kinds of events that go on across the state um hunting, learn, learn to hunt events, uh, banquets, hunting heritage banquets, 
um, all kinds of things. So yeah, that is OKNWTF.com. Awesome. Awesome, Annie. Well, I think that's about all I have. And so unless you have any uh, last minute details, I think we're good to go. No, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. Um, Yeah, definitely looking forward to getting this out there. And I hope people take it seriously. I hope people listen. Um, because yeah, we, we need to help these awesome birds. Um, uh, you know, like I said, they're struggling. I know y'all are working hard to figure out why exactly they are struggling. Um, so definitely keep us up to date on what you guys are finding out and what we can do to help. Definitely. Yeah. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, if that's all we got, then, uh, thank you for coming on and until next time, I guess we'll talk to you later. And there we have it. There's our two-part series with the NWTF, the National Wild Turkey Federation. Thank you guys for everyone who was involved. Uh, Rick for setting up and stopping by my booth at the Backwoods Show. Uh, Thank you for Bobby and Annie for jumping on the show and really just giving us all uh, an in-depth look at you know what the National Wild Turkey Federation does, uh, some hunting tips, some habitat tips. And just thank you guys for what you do. And, uh, you know, I told all these, all three of them, really, uh, you know, if they have an event coming up or some kind of announcement that needs to be made, let me know and I will get it out there to you guys because this is a, a very important thing, guys. You know, and as they've all talked about, uh, turkey numbers are down. It's it's just a fact. And, uh, you know, everybody has their theory as to why that is. Uh, but honestly, really, it just seems like nobody really knows the true answer. And so, you know, it seems like a little bit of everything, uh, habitat loss, urbanization, uh, farming techniques. It just seems like everything, like like I talked about in the episode, it seems like everything is out to get a wild turkey. And so we want to do what we can because we all love hunting turkeys. It, you know, if you don't love hunting turkeys, you at least like seeing turkeys. You know, I think just all all wildlife is important. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I love seeing turkeys out in the wild. I love seeing them come through when I'm deer hunting, turkey hunting, hog hunting, whatever. I just love seeing turkeys on the landscape. And I think they're one of those species that is kind of like a, a an indicator species. You know, if you have a lot of turkeys, most likely things are going to be good wildlife-wise out there on the landscape. And so it's very important that we keep all this in mind, and uh, it's very important that we keep up with the National Wild Turkey Federation and everything they do. So, so yeah, thank you guys for reaching out. Now, super awkward transition. I've never done a from episode two intro-outro type thing quite like this, and so this is going to be a first for me too. And honestly, there's just no other way to keep it from being awkward than just jumping right into it. So first thing, uh, first order of business, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you already know this, but um, I did not go turkey hunting this last weekend like I had talked about. Uh, my boss had some personal stuff come up and, uh, not only was I going with him, but we were going to his place. Uh, and so we tried really hard to make it work, but in the end it just did not work out. And so we didn't get out there this last weekend, this last weekend, excuse me. Uh, but we do plan on getting out there before the season ends, uh, in Texas. Um, man, like I said, in Oklahoma, I'm, it's just tough when we don't have turkeys on our property. Um, I'm interested in hunting public land, but honestly, I, my schedule is just not really working out. Uh, this coming weekend, which will be over by the time you guys listen to it, is Easter weekend. 
you know, my family's doing a bunch of stuff, so I probably won't be able to go that weekend. Uh, the 23rd, I'm actually doing a land consultation around Ada. Uh, so I'll be going out to, uh, you know, a person's property and, and giving them advice about how to improve their hunting in the future. So that weekend's probably not going to work out. The following weekend, uh, my wife and I have a wedding uh, out in West Texas for one of her college friends. I may actually squeeze in a Texas turkey hunt that weekend uh, at my buddy's place out there, uh, but probably not an Oklahoma turkey hunt. And then uh, I think that first weekend in May is when my boss and I were talking about going back to his property. And then, I mean, turkey season's almost over by that point. And so, again, I don't know if I'm going to get an Oklahoma turkey this year. I really want to. I hope to. But it's just kind of not the way things are lining out for me. Uh, this spring is just super busy. Um, I mean, podcast stuff is blowing up. Uh, I got a couple consultations, which I'm uh, very excited about. Um, you know, I wouldn't give that up for the world, but some consultations. Uh, and then, you know, I really need to get a few more uh, deer things done before my baby comes in June. Because, you know, once we hit June, probably not going to be uh, too far away from the house for very long. And so, uh, I still got to step my same... Um, oh, wow. That was a... a tongue twister still have to set up my stands uh like i talked about last week um need to plant some some food plots and stuff and just you know if i honestly if i'm being honest if i had to weigh one against the other i just care more about deer hunting than i do turkey hunting and so if it really comes down to it uh, i'm gonna choose probably setting up for deer season over turkey hunting and so that's just kind of you know the cards i'm dealt this spring uh it's a busy spring like i said i have my first child coming this summer and so a lot of stuff leading up to that and um you know i'm just i'm just going to kind of be tied up this summer with the baby and i accept that i'm excited about it it's just kind of one thing that i'm having to account for that i'm not used to having to account for but wouldn't change it for the world super excited for my baby girl and uh yeah i cannot wait for her to be here but uh, another hard transition, so I didn't get to go turkey hunting last weekend, but I did get to go fishing, and so I actually went back to Lake Murray, where I'd gone the weekend before, and caught a couple smallmouth, and uh, from what I read online, and uh, I guess it's just a free tip for you guys, if you want to catch smallmouth, you go to the south end of that lake, and if what from what I read, if you want to catch largemouth, you go to the north end of the lake. And so I was hoping, you know, it warmed up. I was hoping to catch some spawning largemouth bass. So I went to the north end, and uh, honestly, it was just a struggle all morning. Uh, I didn't get there super early. I actually slept in because I had a long week at work. So slept in a little bit, got out there to the lake, uh, headed north, and uh, I was in some coves. Uh, there were lots of reeds and stuff, some sandy bottoms, and I was fishing it with a swim bait. Uh, I tried tying on a worm for just a little bit, wasn't catching a dang thing. And so I turned south and went down the lake a little bit. And uh, man, I feel like I I knew where I was supposed to be, but there was an incredible amount of boats on the water. Like there was people everywhere. And so I was looking on Onyx kind of studying you know like again it was kind of a new lake i hadn't been to the north end so i was looking for you know stuff that i thought looked good and i feel like i was right in what i was looking for but like everywhere i went there was already a boat there or multiple boats you know every time i found like a point or a rocky outcropping or a sandy bottom or whatever there was already somebody there and so Ran around for a little while trying to find a, a spot to fish. Um, for some reason, I just completely fell apart. And I was casting and like 
getting knots in my reel and stuff, even though I'd been fishing the same bait with the same rod and reel already. Uh, for some reason, I just like started getting, uh, you know, bird's nests and stuff in my reel. Um, finally found a spot that I thought was going to be a little sweet spot. Like there was nobody there. It was kind of blocked from the wind. Uh, the wind was insane that way. I don't know if I said that earlier or not. I think it was like 25 mile per hour winds. So not a great day to be out on the water as far as just, you know, being out on a boat. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to be out. It was a great day. It was sunny and everything. So I was out there on the water. And like I said, I found this little spot that I thought was going to be money. Nobody was there. And uh, I quickly realized why nobody was there. Because apparently there was no fish. Uh, didn't catch a dead gum thing. Uh, but it did make me feel better. Also, other super random note that I did not realize. Again, I'm somewhat of a beginner fisherman as far as the lake is concerned. You know, I've only had my boat uh, right out a year now. Um, just just kind of timed out. Like I needed to leave about 3 o'clock. And so I get back to the dock or the boat ramp about 3 o'clock. And there's already two boats there You know, waiting to get out. Um, I tie my boat up to the dock because I was by myself. Tie my boat up. Go up and get my truck. Um, I'm waiting for those other two boats that were ahead of me to get out of the water, back my trailer and walk out to the dock. And there's like seven boats waiting to get out. So apparently, just FYI, three o'clock is the time that all fishing stops. Just to let you guys know, I did not know that. Uh, but anyway, so I get my boat out. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to get out of the way and everything. And I'm watching all these other guys with much more expensive, nicer fishing boats uh, come in. And it seems like they were struggling too. So that made me feel a little bit better. Uh, there are some people with some very nice boats, very nice electronics, talking about how they had only caught like three. And so the fact that I didn't catch anything, it made me feel a little bit better. So, uh, But yeah, but I had a good time. It was just nice being out there. Like I just love being outside. Um, so yeah, even though I didn't get to go turkey hunting, I did get some fishing done. So that was very nice. And then, uh, I don't remember what I did Sunday. Yes, I do. <laughs> or went to church with my wife, had lunch with my parents and just relaxed because I needed a break. Uh, the last several weekends in a row, I've been going, going, going. Um, last weekend I was at the total archery challenge weekend before that I was, burning the weekend before that I was getting ready to burn and so uh yeah this weekend it was honestly I was kind of glad the turkey trip didn't work out because I needed just some time to hang out with my wife and and just sleep and relax and so that's what I did over the weekend as I mentioned this upcoming weekend is Easter weekend which is actually just passed was y'all listen to this I know it's super hard for me to, to stay that far in advance. Uh, but yeah, I hope you guys went to church. I hope you guys spent some time with the family. Uh, do not forget, guys, the only reason we are on this planet is to know God and to make Him known. So I want to make that very clear. Uh, I am a believer of Jesus Christ. I believe that He came down uh, lived a perfect life, and died for our sins, and I hope you guys believe that too. If any of you out there listening have any questions about that, please reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, so yeah, please, please, please don't forget about Easter. Don't forget about what this time means. Uh, so yeah, hope you guys enjoyed Easter. Hope you spent some time with the family. Man, I, I'm running out of things to say. I uh, got some stuff coming up. Uh, as I mentioned, Easter weekend this next weekend. After that, I got a wedding. Um, but hunting season is going to be here before you know it. I, I talked about this all year last year leading up to it. 
you know, you're going to run out of time before you know it, especially like me, if you're having a baby this summer. And so I'm really trying to kind of get things nailed down before the baby comes. Need to get my stand set up. Need to get my food plots planted. Um, obviously, I'll have to plant them again in the fall. Uh, but yeah, it's it's spring fi- food plot time. So don't forget those. Don't forget about Easter. I think that's all I got for you guys this week. So my apologies. It's a little bit of a shorter episode, but I don't just want to ramble on forever about absolutely nothing. So I'm going to go ahead and cut it off here. Thank you guys for listening. Once again, we are just growing like crazy. Um, I probably need to have an episode soon about just like who I am and how all this started because I know we have a ton of new listeners. But honestly, I, I have so many episodes kind of pending that I, I need a lot of time to get through them. So I already have like two down the pipe that uh, I, actually I've already recorded them that I need to get out to you guys. I got more. Um, I mentioned the bow hunting league uh, early uh, or sorry, earlier. Um, Ben, uh, Ben Harrison from the Bowhunting League actually reached out to me last week about wanting to come back on because he was so impressed with the Oklahoma growth in the Bowhunting League. So I need to have him on. Uh, I got some other cool people that I met at the Backwoods show coming on. Um, I booked a couple of crappie fishing trips that I'm going to talk about later. Uh, my, my guide agreed to come on. And so again, we are just continuing to grow. That's all because of you guys. And I really appreciate it. So I'm going to go ahead and tie a bow on this one. Thank you guys once again. And until next time, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.